0: I'm Johnson with Johnson. I'm here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build foundation. This is the dynasty Bowl, presented by the dynasty for both women.
1: you deep purple and Stormbringer, welcome to the dynasty pulse podcast i am joshua johnson uh i usually introduce my co-host nick wagner at this time but he like i said last week is setting sail across the ocean blue as he has moved to hawaii so we're letting him giving him a couple weeks off letting him get all set up to go there so i'm gonna be flying solo today but not totally of course um I'm gonna have Scott Atkins joining me here in just a minute from ScoutFantasy.com. We're we also have Mr. Dan Hines Burgundy himself stopping by. We're gonna get down and dirty with Dan as we debate a couple of dilemmas. Um, some other things we have in store for you today. We're gonna to grade one of Nick's uh, sixteen team sixteen team. The teams, since he is not here, I'm uh, going to have to talk about kickers for some reason. Um, and then I got, we have some bold predictions to get to as well. We're going to also look at a little IDP positional value chart. Um, and then, of course, some dynasty trade analysis as we do every week. And we will not be on next week as uh, we're taking the week off. I'm taking a little vacation, and, but we will return with Nick uh on july 15th and author alex kirby will be joining us who wrote a couple of books one about the F- chip kelly offense another one about the auburn offense but i have scott atkins on the line now from scoutfantasy.com and he is here to tell us about a couple very exciting contests that they have going on so let me patch scott through here scott are you there hey josh uh glad to be on the show man how's it going Doing doing good today, a little rainy here in South Dakota, but uh, it's not uh, not put a damper on my podcast plan, so uh, happy, happy you could join us today, Scott. Um, you, uh, like I said, you are the general manager of ScoutFantasy.com, and you guys are the home of the Fantasy Football World Championships, as well as the Dynasty Football World Championships. And yes, I have an emphasis on Dynasty, because of course it's a Dynasty podcast, and I think those four words together, Dynasty Football World Championships, is certainly gonna intrigue our audience about what you guys got going on there with those championship contests. Yeah. I mean look, it's uh we're in our third year now, uh, for the Dynasty Football World Championships and it and it kinda of started as an idea that uh, look we've uh I think we're all we all love Dynasty and what it brings and we feel like it's the next step for the the fantasy player to reach that fanatic or diehard level, right? And so there's it's typically one or two of us in every in every redraft league, we take fantasy seriously. And those those are the players that typically end up trying dynasty for the first time and absolutely falling in love. And then, you know, before you know it, you've got 10 or 11 dynasty teams, and you're like, how do I fit in another one, right? Um,
0: <laughs> that's what
1: this contest is all about. If you, if you like dynasty fantasy football and you feel like you uh, would like to participate in a startup draft with some real cash on the line uh, and doing it – in a format that gets a, a lot of publicity with uh, with Scout Fantasy and FF Toolbox, and yeah, it's a it's a fun league to play in, and, and we're just having a, a great time with the concept.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and one of the one of the big things that I always have here is you know building a dynasty. I think is the reason we all started playing fantasy football. We wanted to prove to our our friends and coworkers that not only do we know more about football than them, but we know. Who to choose and when to take this player one year, and it's just it's so fun to have a whole team at your disposal you know it kind of makes makes you the general manager and you're making cuts throughout the season and overloading your roster in the off season and uh yeah it's just a lot of fun and and you obviously are taking it to uh the next level with uh with uh just uh like you said you know a select few people from each league probably get involved in this type of thing, and these are gonna be. Uh this is the cream of the crop probably of competitions sorry for the horrible metaphor there uh, but uh it's it's really uh really sounds like a really fun and interesting contest and of course you guys have built the software yourself which is pretty impressive and and you you had a hand in that too as well right yeah. Uh yeah, software is always uh something that's very important to dynasty players because you want uh you want the engagement and the camaraderie that that comes with being in a dynasty league and being able to communicate with the other drafters and uh that that's a big part of what we do. The trades was a very important feature to make sure that we built out and built on point so that you could really analyze uh what type of trades make the most sense and, and being able to do that in an easy way. Uh but that's also, uh, look, trading is a big part of Dynasty, and, and we wanted to make sure that we captured that. And, and I think over the three, this is our third year doing it, I, I think we've overturned like uh, two or maybe even uh, three at the most trades because I think most of the players kind of get it at this level. When you're spending $299 on a Dynasty league, you kind of know that, you know, what you're doing. And uh, even if you're new to Dynasty, I, I think the, the approach that most people take is, look, we're not. I, I, I have to play with these guys for years. And I don't want to be known as Mm -hmm. that guy, right, that's trying to get one over on Mm -hmm. the new guy that comes into the league. So uh, it's been a really good uh, trade experience, I think, for everybody, even though we do oversee all the trade. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's it's one of those things, too. Like you said, you're spending a lot of money to get in there. But I also feel like, you know, perception is pretty – is pretty different from person to person, you know, and if, if somebody feels like they're maybe in a rebuilding mode, they're going to be willing to trade maybe an older player for a couple younger prospects that people might not see having value, but uh, they maybe that's, that's the kind of, you know, if you could exchange, I'm not crazy on two for one trades, but if you can exchange an older player for two younger players that you really believe in that are maybe kind of under the radar, I think that's I think that's a lot a lot of times where maybe some people question those trades and that that perception comes into mind. Um, you were telling me last week, kind of when we did our pre interview, about a, a crazy trade in, involving Odell Beckham Jr. You want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, no, I mean, look, he's one of the most intriguing players in in dynasty football now, right? I mean, in our startup drafts, he went uh, the last four startups that we've, we've seen he's went number one three times and number two in the fourth draft. So he's he's one of the top players in all of Dynasty right now because of his hot finish in the second half of the season last year. And, and, uh, look, somebody wanted him bad enough to – and and had worked really hard to acquire some first-round picks. I think he had six of them in total. And he traded four of those first-round picks for Odell Beckham. Now, uh, you know, when you're playing rookies – first-rounders are, are fantasy gold. You never want to come off of it, and when you do, it has to be for, for, for something good. Uh, but for four first-round picks, there's that's a lot of potential upside to be given up for a player like Odell Beckham. So there were a few outcries of people saying, would you ever do that? But it was one of those things where would you allow that trade to go through, and we did ultimately allow that trade to go through because, first of all, the player worked his tail off to acquire those picks. What he does with them – is up to him if he can uh, grab the best mm-hmm. player in the league: uh, uh, Andrew Luck, Odell Beckham, or Le'Veon Bell for those four picks. I mean, who's to say that Rashard Perryman, Doriel Green Beckham, uh, Tevin Coleman, uh, and Jalen Strong work out? I mean, you know they, may, you know, mm-hmm. those, it may 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 or may not work out. Now, if you're getting a, a Todd Gurley or an Amari Cooper and you're giving up two of those guys, that's a little different. But this wasn't a, a case mm-hmm. of top-end rookie picks; it was very likely four picks. Maybe one in the first top six and the other three were in the bottom six. But, look, we post every one of our trades on our forums, on the message boards to get that interaction going. And there's a lot, There's always trades going down every single day on our Scout Fantasy message boards. Amir Abdullah was just traded for Carlos Hyde and Charles Sims. Dez Bryant just went in a trade for A.J. Green and Michael Floyd. Uh, there, there's always a trade going down every day that seems like the talk of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, like I said, is you know it is really kind of a perception game. But when you look at the Odell oh, Beckham. You know, you possibly get like you said, maybe one higher pick and some bottom end first round guys. Um, and Odell Odell is certainly you know probably above where most rookies were after last year. So he's a little ahead of the game. And that guy that's maybe requiring those picks is you know maybe a couple years away from competing. So that is just right. kind of how you how you build a dynasty certainly. I mean I took over an orphan team in one of our one of our major leagues here at D F W thirty six and I'm kinda of doing the same thing. I'm trading besides Andrew Luck, I'm trading all my older players to get younger and to get picks and I and I know that I'm not gonna compete this year. But I know I, I I'm pretty positive I could I could make some waves the following season and, and mm-hmm. it's one of those things too I I think in Dynasty that I always like to say is you're if you had a really down year don't think you're going to fix your team in one off season. It takes time. It takes a couple, couple rookie drafts in order to, to, to get things squared away or a couple, you know, a couple of free agents or how you, however you do the rookies and veterans combined, you know, you gotta, you gotta really look at that. You gotta really look at some, maybe some second player, second year players that are under radar, that didn't get a whole lot of playing time that could, possibly burst onto the scene. The Beckham thing was really interesting. I am not maybe a tie on him. I don't think I would take him number 1.01 myself. Um, I think he's going to see a lot of double teams this year. And, uh, you know, Victor Cruz could be healthy for a good portion of the season. Ruben Randall's certainly been a very good player there. So I, I, feel, like, I feel like they tried to maybe win him the rookie of the year by feeding him the ball but t- towards the end of the season. But, again, like, like I said, that's just a – just a perception thing. Um, But uh, this, that's also a couple of things that we talk about. We have a dynasty trade analysis portion of our show every time we do it. And then we also have been playing around with a new series called, what would you trade for? And, uh, you know, I don't know if there's anybody that I, I would trade for first round picks for. Um, I own Andrew Luck in a couple of leagues or actually just one league. I'd love to own him in more, but, uh, and I, you know, I don't think I would, take four first-round picks for him, because I think as far as dynasty goes, unless it's an IDP league, you know, there's Andrew Luck and there's J.J. Watt, depending on the format you play in. And, and I think those two are so high and above yeah. the rest of the competition. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is good. Obviously, you know, there, there's some other defensive ends that can produce. But J.J. is certainly a special case, and Andrew Luck is too, because, you know – Dynasty, especially this time of year, everybody's rookie crazy. Everybody's, you know,
0: they're,
1: they're even ready to get rid of their second-year players. But uh, it's it's one of those things. Like again, it comes back to the whole perception thing. But when you look at, that's why Odell Beckham is worth that that many picks to somebody because he's got experience. He's proven it on the field. And uh, he, you know, he's going to hopefully be a very solid player for that team for the next seven to eight years, regardless of yeah. how I feel about it. But
0: uh, what, yeah.
1: for instance, what what would you trade for Odell Beck? Well, I'd kind of like to uh, approach it from the other angle because I think you're exactly right. When you when you mention Andrew Luck, he for me is the player that represents the most upside in Dynasty for a couple of reasons. Not only do I think he's the best player right now. But what's going to happen in a couple of years in the NFL is going to be really interesting to see how this shakes out, right? You're going to have Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, and Drew Brees. They're going to be sayonara in retirement. Once those guys are gone, it's basically Andrew Luck and Aaron Rodgers for the top spot. And and how much longer does Rodgers have? Eventually, it's going to be Luck sitting on the top of the mountain, unless quarterbacks come out of nowhere, right? But the, but the elite quarterbacks mm-hmm. are going to be gone, and so – In a quarterback-heavy scoring league, I would consider Andrew Luck for four first rounds. It would would probably have to be quarterback-heavy, probably have to be six points a Hmm. touchdown. I'm even in one dynasty league, my first-ever dynasty league that I started in. It's it's quarterback ridiculous. It's one point for every ten passing yards. And so in that type of league, quarterback is at a premium. And I've asked people, there is absolutely zero price that they would allow Andrew Luck to be pried away from because they see what's going to happen in the next couple of years. But – I'm like you, Josh. I think the patience has to be there for a dynasty player, especially when you're playing uh, to win uh, it, now with the cash that we're putting on the line. You have to be patient and smart about it because you don't want to be caught in the middle with a team that's too young to win now, and you're trying to win now. Uh, or, and, and conversely, you don't want to be too heavy to win now because then you'll be, uh, before long, you'll be stuck with Frank Gore's. Uh, And guys that you just can't get rid of for any price that nobody wants. And so that's the interesting concept about the Dynasty World Championship is we have something called the Dynasty King Bonus. And it's a $2,000 bonus that's awarded every single year of the contest for the top scoring team over a three-year period. So we get to actually award this bonus for the first time this year. We're pretty excited. There's a big leaderboard on it and a race to be the dynasty king, but it's the person who's built their team for the long haul and over a three year period have amassed the most amount of points. And I mean it's a it's a nice prize and a nice carrot. But obviously the most important thing is just to win your league. And so we've put all the most of the money, it's a very heavy ROI league. So if you win your league there's over twenty four hundred in prizes for just your league. And then if you are able to advance to the championship round, the top four teams from each league in the last three weeks of the season, they advance to the championship round for the $10,000 grand prize. And so there's a a lot to play with, but the goal is still to win your league and win your league of 12 and kind of let the chips fall where they may for the the championship. And I love the idea of having the the three-year – it's essentially a three-year point total, right? Yep, yep, points, total points. Yeah, so that's, you know, I mean – you, you run into the potential of somebody winning that who actually hasn't won the league. I mean, I, I know that's maybe not right. not the best chance to win that, but if you constantly constantly, uh, you know, Consistent.
0: a bridesmaid yeah. and
1: never a bride, so to speak, you could you could be certainly right at the top of the top of the echelon for that. So, or you could you know win the league the third year and win that prize. I mean, what that'd be a that'd be a nice little Christmas bonus, so to speak. <laughs> You know, um, and I'm and I'm a league and, and I play in so many dynasty leagues. Sorry, Josh, I, I play in so many dynasty leagues that have this head-to-head format at the end. And you have like the best team uh, that you feel like you have the best team on paper, but you have that one bad week where Andrew Luck scores two points, and you're like, wait a minute, what happened? Uh, so our yeah. format in the league a, in the league of twelve level, it's a total points race. The top the last three weeks of the season, so week fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen, the top four teams battle in a total points shootout. determine the first and second place prize winners and so it it kind of eliminates the luck portion a little bit and reduces that factor of having a bad week and it allows the first the the best four teams to advance somewhere in there you gave me a flashback of aaron Rodgers versus buffalo last year i don't know if you remember that game at all (laughs) uh but that uh that really hurt me that it didn't knock me out of the playoffs but it really hurt me uh I still will never forgive Jordy Nelson for dropping what would have been a 75-yard touchdown there. Um, yeah, week, week and, 15, uh, yeah. Yep, and Keon Bacardi or whatever, uh, two picks. Uh, yeah, sorry. All, <laughs> off the flashback there. Um, and I, I, would, I happened to be watching that game, too, because it was on TV here. Where, you know, I'm in South Dakota where it's a lot of Minnesota Vikings, Kansas City Chiefs, Denver Broncos in the afternoon. For some reason, that Green Bay Packers team was on, and I – yeah, I had to watch the whole thing, and it was just one of those things. If he could just throw a touchdown pass in that game, you know, it... nothing. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, no touchdowns, two picks, less than two hundred yards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you also have obviously it's going to be a little bit different, but the uh, the fantasy football world championship. How does that uh, how does that differ there? Yeah, well, look, I mean that's our that's our flagship event, the Fantasy Football World Championships. We draft out in Vegas uh, on opening weekend uh, every year. We're in our fourth year now. Uh, 150,000 our grand prize and 12,500 in league prizes. Again, we put the importance into the league of 12 because, yeah, we could power up our our top prize, but we we feel like that's a a losing proposition for most players. And at an ROI, you you need to have as much money as you can built into the league of 12. To really make um, you know a successful run. I mean, if you have a, a bad couple of years, you've, really, you've you've wasted your chance. So the, the league money has to be very important. So we have the highest grand league prizes anywhere, but it's a standard redraft point per reception, an 11-man starting lineup because we feel like we want to reward those players who draft better and have more talent on their bench, and so you're able to put that extra guy into your lineup each week. And that kind of separates the men from the boys, so to speak. So yeah, well, you can draft that in Vegas, or you can draft it online from home. Uh, online drafts as well. So it's uh, available for both. But uh, that's we, we've been doing that for four years now. This is this is this will be our fourth year, and and yeah, it should be our best turnout ever. Now with uh, with scout uh, being on the scout network yeah. and having uh, the army of scout uh, fans that are out there for uh, college football and NFL. Yes, yes, and just just so we, before we let you go, how, how can how can me or anybody listen enter into these contests? Yeah, you just go to scoutfantasy.com, dot com and you'll you'll find uh, the play or the contest buttons there, and you'll be able to find uh, info about all of our contests. and We have a partnership with Dynasty Football Warehouse this year. You get access to the rankings on Dynasty Football Warehouse, the the, the articles, the news, uh, all right there in the software for the players. So if you're uh, if you're interested, you can play against the DFW guys. Uh Josh, you I I I heard you might be throwing your hat into the ring. I mean, it's uh it's a lot of fun to uh to take a shot at, at dynasty and building a startup. There's nothing like building a startup. For me, I always like to do at least one every year and I don't know how long I'm going to be able to do that because I don't like quitting. <laughs> I've know. never quit a I've never quit a dynasty league, but eventually there has to be a point where I stop, but I haven't reached it yet. It's just a, it's too appealing to have that that uh dynasty startup experience. Uh yeah, I mean it's it's fun to see where those players go from year to year. Right. Like I probably wouldn't be drafting Bishop Sankey in the fourth round this year like I did last year in my startup. You know, that type of <laughs> that type of thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I want Hopkins <laughs> on one of my teams. I've gotta get him in, in something, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Most definitely. Well thank you very much, Scott, and it sounds like a great program and we will have uh right in the write up for this podcast right next to your name we'll have the the link to Scout Fantasy if you guys want to go there and uh check it out and see what they're all about uh great great software and really like I said if you want if you think you're great and you think you can you think you can compete with some some top fantasy minds this is where you need to be to play to play and you know earn some real money and uh and just have have a lot of fun doing it so thank you so much Scott and have a great day Thanks, Josh. Go draft Devontae Parker. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Happy drafting. Take care, bud. Okay, well I I promised you a little burgundy, so of course I'm gonna patch him through here. He's he's waiting, um waiting so so patiently. So we're patching we're hatching Burgundy through, but let's listen to what Bill Callahan. Is.
0: We've got to be the dumbest team in America in terms of playing the game, and I'm highly critical because of the way we give games away. We give them away, period.
1: Uh, That's throw you off your game, Dan. You're usually used to music. Uh, are you are you already like coming up with excuses, or was that supposed to be directed no. at me? No, I'm just trying to just trying to throw you off your game. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, I was on hold for one minute and I couldn't even escape Scott's Louisville homerism with Devontae Parker. <laughs> uh, that was the only time he brought it up there at the very end. So uh, uh, Well, he saved it for me so, then. Okay, there you go, there you go. Well, I asked Dan to join us because Nick is gone, so I needed a dilemma partner. But, but first, I, I got to tell you a little backstory. Usually... Uh, so I knew Nick wasn't going to be here, so I texted Dan towards the end of the week, and I said, hey, you want to do Dynasty Dilemmas with me? And uh, he said, I thought you would never ask. Um, And before I could even tell you what the dilemma was, you came back with your own dilemma, or two dilemmas. I'm like, well, (laughs) okay, I guess he's, he's kind of my boss. I guess I'll listen to him. But then you went further and said, well, this is who I'm with. I'm like, well... Usually when I give the dilemma to Nick we take turns of who who chooses the player first, but I'm like, Okay, all right, whatever, this is what Dan wants to do, so we'll go we'll go this route. Um, but just I got to thinking Friday uh Monday morning I said, you know what, let's let's try to see if I can uh throw Dan off his game. So I, I, I emailed your good buddy Jeff and I said I said, here's the deal. I got I got Jeff I got Dan coming on to do some dilemmas with me. And, I, and I'll and I'll tell you, I'll give you the whole correspondence. Here. I need some inside info on Dan, is what I said. We're going head to head on the podcast during Dynasty eleven time, and I'm not averse to some below-the-belt antics. Looking for a nickname or something, embarrassing happenstance, just in case I need to throw him off again. Not saying I do, just in case. I do. And Jeff, Jeff responded, of course, he's a good guy, and said, he goes, you know, that sounds like a good idea. And he said, nothing comes to mind first, but... Uh, I'll certainly let you know, and I would love to help you dish out some low blows. Um, uh, Pan head to Tuesday. Uh, Jeff uh, Jeff says, "Well, I failed. I can't come up with anything." Um, he said, "The main hard part is Dan try to get on top of Dan, try to get inside Dan, is Dan tells everybody everything." So so he really <laughs> didn't, he really kind of failed, me. So I said, "Well, I respect that, and I will certainly reference our correspondence during the podcast." So I tried and I, I tried to I he didn't tried, tell you, you I just, that I wet I my bed you. till I was like nine years old at sleepovers oh, at Jeff's no. house or I <laughs> figured he'd go he'd go really old school on the relationship and pull out some bed wedding tales yeah. or yeah. something he couldn't come up I don't know I guess I guess there's a, a mutual <laughs> respect there guess, that you know he, he chose to forget things for you so so I tried and I guess anyway, I just proved Jeff's point that I tell everybody everything <laughs> <laughs> uh you do. Uh but anyway, let's get to let's get to some music. We have a couple dilemmas and, and and like I said, they were chosen by Dan. Um and I think they're great. I think it might be kind of a fun thing to uh to get into as we move uh forward. We're kind of doing some team on team ones. So the first one we're gonna do uh is Nelson Aguilar. Uh, versus Jordan Matthews, but let's get the intro music so we get really pumped. Welcome to the
0: Dynasty Bulls podcast. Nick Hale is the Redskins'
1: and Jordan. Would... That was the wrong clip. I did that last week too.
0: There we go. <laughs> short version. Real short version. All right, that's all we need. So
1: since. I usually let the person who chose go first. Um, I guess I will go first this time, and you can go first a second. Um, Nelson Aguilar, um, while the ever-so-humble Jordan Matthews had a very solid rookie season, I still want ponder if he is a wide receiver one. He himself does not view himself as a wide receiver one material. Should owners be concerned when he is making that kind of statement? We all know J. Matt to be a hard-working beast um, let us not, But let us not forget that he spent the majority of his snaps last season out of the slot versus inferior nickelbacks and in some not-so-fast safeties. Now let's shift to my guy, Aguilar. Disclaimer, he is a rookie. But two guys whose opinion I hold in very high regard absolutely love this kid, and maybe the situation even better. I'm talking, of course, of my podcast cohort, Nick Wagner,
0: and the Master
1: of Ceremonies over at D F W Cyril Williams survey. Now this is really big because Bill, if you don't know Bill, Bill especially hates you if you are not six foot three. So when he was on Aguilar, I I I, I had to listen to Bill here. Uh Aguilar does everything well. He blocks, he returns kicks, he's got ankle break and agility. Uh J Matt does have the size advantage, therefore he we may he may be expected to do some dirty work while Aguilar threads the threads the needle for monster games. Uh, Jay Matt might have more catches as a yawn possession receiver, but Aguilar should have more yards, possibly more touchdowns, as a true big play threat. Chip Kelly is very committed to the run. That should help both of these guys. But Aguilar will probably be on the outside more thus far. The play-action game could be a backbreaker for Aguilar against his opponents. Um, I love both of these guys. I have no problem. I actually own J. Matt and a league I do not own, Aguilar, but I love both of these guys. Um, but J. Matt's size compared to uh, the rest of the Eagles' skill players, I think, will burden him into blocking duties. Thus, his yards per catch will suffer as a result. Aguilar, in some respects, also fits the Deshaun Jackson role. Um, don't be surprised to see him in the backfield with DeMarco or Ryan Matthews. Uh, in the same backfield at the same time. Uh, excuse me. Don't be surprised to see him with Demarco and Ryan Matthews in the same backfield. Uh, kind of open up the flare option for Aguilar to exploit the will linebacker with some sneaky moves. Uh, Jordan Matthews, of course, essentially will be a third tight end in this package, likely clearing the path for Aguilar to uh, run. Ultimately, they could. I, I don't think anybody would be surprised. If they finished with very similar numbers. Um, and nobody's going to complain about that either, but um, I think I like any of our under-the-radar this year just a little bit better than Jordan Matthews. What do you got for us, Dan? Uh, I don't know. I just blacked out there for a couple minutes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Jordan Matthews is a better catcher. He's a better route runner. He's harder working. He's a better student of the game. He's more versatile. He can play the slot. Aguilar can't. Um, he can play outside. He is faster or as fast as Aguilar, both with uh, low 4 4 speed, all while packing on an extra three inches. Vertical. Best red zone threat in the, on the team. I honestly don't care where he lines up. Position means next to nothing to me. We've seen X. We've seen slot positions thrive all over the league from all sizes, from five foot 10 to six foot three. Jordan Matthews is arguably the most dynamic, versatile threat in the slot position in the league right now. They may ask him to block. If he's in the wide receiver position, he's going to need to block. And so is that USC receivers. I don't even need to go that route, but they got a lot to prove a lot. Um, I do like Aguilar. I think he found the perfect home. I think his transition will be smoother than most other USC wide receivers. Um, I think the the system will be very familiar. I think he has a lot of upside. But at the end of the day, Jordan Matthews is going to outwork everybody. And with the new system coming into play, or new quarterbacks coming into play, there's a lot of question marks here. And when there's a lot of question marks, I'm going to go to the safest, surest thing on my team, which is Jordan Matthews, who happens to be the guy running over the middle and underneath and being my possession guy, being the guy that I can trust on. That's what's going to develop first with rather, whether it's Sam Bradford or Mark Sanchez, who he already has the history with and thrived under the back half of the last year. So this one's pretty close. Um, I'll give you that. Uh, but Jordan Matthews is my guy. Um, I believe him to be the overall better of the two wide receivers. To me, these two don't necessarily compare. Aguilar would have been top ten last year. I had Jordan Matthews top three. Uh, he remains that, play, uh, that way for me. One of the best hands in the draft. Um, just pure receiver. And like I said, it's going to put in all the time necessary. If he needs to block, he'll block. But when the ball's thrown his way, he's going to catch it. He's going to make plays. Um, I think a common mistake is to automatically assume because Aguilar is replacing Jordan Mack, Jord, uh, Macklin, Macklin that uh, he's automatically going to be Macklin or Deshaun Jackson for that matter. And let's not forget about the, you know, the inconsistencies with, their play over the years. Jeremy Macklin more for injury purposes, Deshaun Jackson more just because it's boom or bust. So boring possession guy. Sure. Maybe hundred possible receptions. Absolutely. Best red zone target. Absolutely. Is he going to take 40, 50 yard receptions to the house as many times as Aguilar? Maybe not, but from a consistent fantasy production which is the hardest thing. It's almost an oxymoron, unless you're talking about Antonio Brown. From consistent, you know, from a consistent fantasy production standpoint, I love Jordan Matthews as my wide receiver, too, on any team. I think he's going to flirt with top 15 numbers, and it's going to be a very consistent, you know, five average receptions a game, bouncing between four and ten every game, you know. And uh, yeah, I just don't see this one, year one, as being that close. Okay. Well, and you know the other thing to that, think about is Jordan Matthews already has a year in this system. Regardless well, that's of the it. Yeah. Team, you, yeah. You know. You yeah. know and is that team. is a huge advantage. Right no spot. question about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a big advantage too. So,
0: yeah.
1: but it, of the two, I think this one is closer. Even though I'm on probably the losing side of the next one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right.
1: Uh, yeah, it's it's you brought up some very good points there, and I and I can't really disagree with much. It's, it's I think the moral of this whole story is Philadelphia is in pretty pretty damn good shape with those top two receivers. They are, you know. You, you you look around the league, and I don't know if there's a better combination of youth and talent, you know. Antonio Brown, Martavius Bryant certainly comes close. There's a lot of people not on the Martavius Bryant train. They think he's kind of a one-trick pony. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey and Kevin White, you know, they they yeah, certainly have
0: yeah.
1: They, they certainly have some a future there, definitely. But uh, yeah, they, even you know DeAndre Hopkins, Jalen Strong. I think Strong could be a nice compliment to Hopkins, but he is nowhere near the player Hopkins is at this point. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just a nice a nice situation for Philly to be in. And I, yeah, and you let's know, not they, rule they, out Josh Huff here. I mean, actually, one of my extremely bold predictions. We have a bold prediction thread in DFW Forum every year, which is kind of fun. And I don't necessarily believe this, but it's kind of fun. You know, kind of throwing thoughts out there. And the forgotten man in this system is Oregon and Chip Kelly's own Josh Huff. And I know that Mm -hmm. uh, it it hasn't been all sunshine and roses flying Josh Huff's way, Mm -hmm. but the guy is extraordinarily familiar with the system, is an extremely athletic receiver, arguably the most athletic receiver they have on that team, even over Jordan Matthews and Nelson Aguilar, which is a huge, you know, statement. Um, But that guy is under six foot and plays like a 6'2 outside wide receiver. So he has the potential to sneak up in that mix, especially with injuries, unknown stuff. I mean, you nailed it. Wide receivers traditionally do not transition the way we saw wide receivers transition last year. That was an exception to the norm. Now, maybe this is a new norm because of the way they're prepping them at the college level. We'll have to see that for a couple years and we're definitely going to follow that trend until it bucks us as you saw with rookie drafts this year and how fast those wide receivers started racing up the draft boards but josh huff is not out of the realm of possibility in my opinion for outproducing melton A. R. um this year it just truly depends on how fast he can come into that you know that uh system and perform like he did at usc and you know that's there's a so I mean that's probably a bold statement but that's why it's in the bold statement thread so don't forget about Josh. We're we actually we're actually going to talk about that bold prediction a little bit later. I have that slated a little bit later, but uh, yeah, it's a good point. And I think Huff is also like you know he's under six foot, but I think he's like two oh five, two ten. So this is yeah, he's a beat. he may not be tall, he's, he is, but he is a solid kid. And I, I was yeah very impressed with him, and I expected a little bit more out of him as a rookie. I know he had some injury stuff, but I was very impressed with him in college, and I was not totally surprised that he went to that offense so i mean he he knows what to do with that offense and uh he does he knows uh, yeah. it even more arguably than Jordan, you know, or I mean at this point he should be the most experienced wide receiver in that offense, except maybe uh Cooper, you know probably pretty comparable. <laughs> So, who exactly are you going to trade for me, house to me in DFW36? what uh, I, think this is <laughs> I have nobody I can trade. All my oh, guys no. are valuable, unless you want – I think I'm still hanging on to Welker. You want Welker uh, in the second rounder <laughs> next year, third? Uh, no. <laughs> i kind of like Eric Ebron, but I've already backed myself in the four subpar tight ends. So, um, <laughs> uh. But anyway, we have another dilemma for you. I'm going to play the right music this time, the long version. So, this one is Tevin Coleman versus Devontae Freeman. Dan's going to go first. So, he's going to come right at
0: you after the (laughs) music. Hmm.
1: Yeah. All right. So I'm coming out with Devonte Freeman. Uh, anybody who's been around me uh, for the last couple of years knows I'm a big fan. Uh, was my number one back last year coming out of uh, FSU with good reason. Um, this is a really interesting situation for me. I mean, I'm sitting, certainly not going to sit here and Uh, pretend like he's the clear favorite in this situation. I I know what the masses think here, and there are very good arguments for both players, in my opinion. Um, It's very easy to go with the shiny new toy and Kevin Coleman. Um, The guy is a human highlight film coming out of Indiana. His explosion is tops in the draft. There's no question about that. Um, He had hallways to run through, but there are some concerns about his game. Uh, There are some injury concerns, and there are some hesitation concerns. He has no problem hitting a hole when it's there. But in the NFL, those holes close a lot faster, and they're a lot smaller. So if he doesn't get that same type of – if he doesn't understand how that works or at least slow out of the gate, um, you could find a lot of negative plays for Tevin Coleman. Devontae Freeman is ultimately the exact opposite – Of Kevin Coleman in terms of his running style and that can work to his disadvantage as well. He is an, he is a line of scrimmage attacker. This guy has no wasted movement. He's absolutely fearless. The coaching staff loves him. They've been raving about him for two years. Um, It just didn't translate last year. And that is concerning. I'm remaining optimistic because of what I saw at Florida state and because of what I like in running backs, they use him primarily as a pass catcher, which he was very effective at, but the reality is, is no running back truly performed well in that offense last year. The run blocking was very, very substandard. The uh, Atlanta Falcons were behind in a lot of games. A lot of times, Devonte Freeman came in in scrap time. It was near the end of the game. He never really got a chance to establish himself. There's plenty of concerns in this situation for me, ultimately. I think this is going to be a very, very 50-50 split unless one truly emerges. Um, I think Coleman has the advantage in terms of grabbing the playing time should he break one loose. And because of his explosion, um, that side favors him a little bit. But in terms of effective pass blocking, in terms of being effective yard getter, in terms of an all-three-down skill set, Devontae Freeman is ahead of Tevin Coleman right now, and it's not surprising that he is number one on the depth chart. He is going to get 50 to 70% of the carries coming out of the gate and have the first chance to grab hold of this job. So if I'm optimistic because of his size, because of his explosion, because of the way he attacks the line of scrimmage, I said this last year, he reminds me so very much of Maurice, Maurice Jones Drew. Uh, in fact, I nicknamed him MJD, MJDJR, MJD Jr. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it's because he he is so quick to the line of scrimmage that when you're 5'8", you know, 210 pounds, you get lost behind those monsters. And if you sneak through the hole, it's all over. I mean, you just can't catch up to a guy like that. He's got some concerns about his, uh, you know, ability to stay upright when he's getting attacked from a lateral position. Um, But in terms of attacking this guy face on, he's a tough little guy. He's going to be the chain mover for these guys versus Tevin Coleman, who's going to be a minus, minus, minus 40 yard guy. Um, So until he can establish himself as not a liability and more of a big play threat, or at least big enough plays that make up for those liabilities Atlanta's going to lean on Freeman. And uh, just because everybody is staring at this shiny new toy, I really like the idea of scooping in, grabbing Freeman, and seeing what happens the first few weeks. So give me my boy Freeman. Okay. Yeah, I had no problem drafting either one of these guys. Um, I'd certainly lean Coleman first. Uh, this is an interesting case for me because I'm basically a, a former prosecutor for both parties in past dynasty dilemmas. Um, uh, so it's kind of tough for me to fall the one side. But then I remembered I defended Freeman pre-draft when his path was much clearer. Uh, also, that combined with his 3.8 yards per rush in 2014, it excite me a whole lot. So um, uh, an average like that kind of reminded me of a former Brown, former Colt, current Raider running back. I think you know who I'm talking about. Uh, but again, I'm going to yawn here. 3.8 yards per carry. Uh, but you know, PPR alert. You're going to say he had thir- he caught 30 of his 37 targets as a, and that's you know that's I think that's all well and good, but it smells like a third down back to me. Um, now, on to Mr. one cut himself Kevin mother effin Coleman um by the way, the one cut part sees a biblical proportion uh Coleman wins this job because he simply did a lot less he did a lot he did more with a lot less in college uh the five foot eight freeman, while he wasn't representing the lollipop kids, only gained two thousand two hundred and fifty five yards in three years at forestry. He was never the guy every down. I mean, James Wilder saw more snaps than him in the red zone for some awful reason. And I don't even know why he was even considered in the draft last year. But uh, while Coleman, you know, he gained 2,000 yards in what, his last season at Indiana. Uh, with, and this is a school that's had one offensive lineman drafted since 1999. Um Basically, I think Freeman is now Jacques Quez Rogers to Coleman's Mike Turner. Obviously, this is probably four years ago. Atlanta hasn't had a running game for quite some time. Um, Coleman has, has the perfect combination of agility and acceleration. His footwork is precise and calculated. Sure, Coleman will have his rookie roles, but Freeman in his 5.8 – Five, excuse me, four point five eight forty time does not explode through holes. I, I know you think he does, Dan, but I I haven't seen it yet at the NFL level. Um, um you know, let's not forget that Coleman. You know, while he maybe looks good in college at at points, he had three NFL offensive linemen in front of him, three current NFL offensive linemen in front of him. Um, mm-hmm. Coleman has been clocked at four three nines, uh, and he I think he hits the hole faster. I think. I think he also has some patience. I think, while some people think Coleman is a little bit of a, a dancer, I I just don't see Freeman using using that agility. I think he tries to more slip through the cracks with his with his smaller stature.
0: Um,
1: I, I, in fact, I think Coleman might even see time on third and short situations as opposed to Freeman. Now I I'm a huge Florida State fan, so I don't want to I don't want to you know totally dis this on Freeman, but I, I, uh, you know, a good friend of mine, Jeff Lloyd, started talking to me about Tevin Coleman way back in October, and and, and I can't get enough of watching this guy in film. And and I know they're 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 different, they're different schemes or whatnot. But I also believe that with the new coaching regime in Atlanta, I think Freeman is is going to be a little bit lost in the shuffle because he's in their guy. Coleman is the guy they drafted. This is the guy I think they're putting. They're putting their, their, their money behind, or their, their money where their mouth is behind, so to speak. So. Uh, but like I said, I had no problem dra- drafting either one of these players. Any, any rebuttal there? No, I think that's more than fair. And I hope you're right about Coleman. I mean, I kind of went back and forth on that patience versus dancing, you know, behind the line. And I think it is more patience than dancing behind the line. I'm not gonna debate you on that. I think Coleman could potentially be an absolute superstar in this offense if his game does transition the way everybody's hoping to. And if that's the case, no amount of success uh Freeman's gonna have is gonna hold Coleman back from taking this job. It really comes down to, you know, how quick he does you know, transition to the faster game, to the holes closing quicker, and uh, and then also can he can he be an effective pass catcher? Can he protect the quarterback? And can he hold up? Um, we see this all the time with these slightly smaller backs, with these breakneck speeds, with all these nagging lower injuries, lower leg injuries it just has become a really, really clear pattern with very few exceptions to the rules. And you need to be more sturdy. You need to be a little more agile and lower, you know, running a little lower to the ground like your uh, like your Devonta Freemans, who seem to have a slightly better chance at holding up um, because both of them are about the same size. I mean, Coleman's a little mm. taller, a little leaner. Um, reminds me a little bit of Chris Johnson. Um, so, you know, I, I, I get it. I'm not going to blame anybody for taking Coleman over Freeman. Freeman's my boy. I'm sticking with him. They're two very distinctly different running styles. I think they both could work well. I totally understand why Atlanta is going with Freeman here. He's first out in front. Um, you know, so I'm going to go with him, and if he has some success, I could see a 50-50 share all the way through the season, which is not uncommon for the offensive coordinator who's a Shan- – it's not Shanahan, is it? Who's yeah, it? Kyle Shanahan, yep. Yeah, yeah, Shanahan. You know, recent history suggests that, you know, Shanahan's going to use these guys 50% of the time, thus eliminating the upside from either. Um, so best-case scenario, one of them emerges and takes the job, I think Coleman has the best chance of keeping the job just because of his explosion, but I also think he has the best chance of losing the job because of his unknowns and the potential for injury and not being able to hold up the way I think Freeman can do it. So, And that, you know, we've seen that whole Shanahan zone-blocking scheme create a 1,000-yard rushers out of Olandish. Yeah, years. out of garbage. Yeah. Who the... Yeah, was that guy, and where is he now? <laughs> you know, it's yep. just Like, uh, but I think you know it's, it's worth it saying. Like, what's the other dilemma? Uh, I think Atlanta's in a pretty good situation here to have two two, two, two young backs. You know, there's, yep. um, but I totally hear what you're saying about the the Freeman with the lower center of gravity type of thing, and it's it's one of those things. You know, I think we saw it with Doug Martin. I know some people still believe in him, but when you get one injury, I do. it's just it. It's so yep. it's so hard to come back to that one hundred percent thing because when you get that it's, one injury, especially lower body, it's uh it just opens you up to other injuries, other places, and I just it's so concerning. To it is the most unforgiving and un yeah, it is the most unforgiving and unpredictable position in arguably sports. Period is the running back position, and it makes it so difficult. We just did. We just did a live um, Dynasty mock on Monday night, uh, a bunch of DFW guys, and we had 30-second clock, basically. So we did 20-round mock draft in just over an hour. Um, And it was amazing to me how fast the running backs came off the board. And this seems to happen when the decision-making – Ability speeds a little bit and I just refuse to do it. I mean, I just refuse mm-hmm. to do it. I just don't see the benefit unless you're just seeing falling value from someone like a Le'Veon Bell or, you know, a lot Sean McCoy or Lacey or even Adrian Peterson. Someone you know is going to absolutely get 25 touches a game and has that uh, two or three year history of being able to play the bulk of their games. It's just so unpredictable, and I would rather sit and wait, and just start taking running backs late in the draft and sashing backups, high-end backups, Cameron Artis-Payne's and David Johnson's and young, you know, young rookie backs that, you know, by the end of the season there's a good chance two or three of those guys are going to be starting. You know, I mean, a really good chance. And for me, it just—I know it's an advantage to actually grab one of those top elite. Producing running backs, but again, it's just so the odds are just so slim of you actually landing mm. one of them. You know, I mean, look mm. at Demarco Murray even last year, right? I mean, Demarco mm. Murray's a top-end back. No one saw the year he was going to have last year coming, and chances are he's never going to have it again. You have to catch that year, and to me, that's more lucky than good. You know, mm. so if I'm going to gamble, I'm gambling late. I'm stocking my, you know, my roster with. More proven things, and I'll take a to Freeman in the eighth or ninth round, you know, and stash him and be like, hey, I can start this guy week one based on reports right now as my running back mm-hmm. two or flex, and hope I get ten points out of the guy, you know. So, mm-hmm. not to go off on a well, tangent, but I hate running back. No, <laughs> no and, and one name, and one name I thought of last year, if it's if it's gonna bring it all home, is Justin Forsett. I mean, nobody drafted yeah. this guy last year, and look what he did. I mean, Yeah, was, and now everyone's situations. drafting him in the top five, and you know what the hell going <laughs> to yeah. happen. You know, Javar, yeah. you know, Javorius Allen or Tala Farrell is going to end up being the guy there by week four or five. You just know it. And I'll tell you what, it won't surprise me at all. I love Forsett. I got an offer on the table in one of my leagues for Forsett and a future first for Allen Robinson, and I have a few wide receivers to spare. Right. So I could spare Alan Robinson. And right now, Jonathan Stewart's my number one wide running back in that league. Not exactly looking great. And so to add four set to that and be able to go four set Stewie week one sounds great. <laughs> you know, yeah. I could be completely out of running backs by week two. <laughs> you know, it's, it's you know that's the reality. And Forsett looked great last year, but that guy took a f and beating, man. If you watched him late into the playoffs, that guy was getting killed. He was playing for his life. He was playing for a contract. God bless him, he got it. I'm just not so sure the older journeyman is going to go out there and give the same type of effort he gave last year. Not saying he won't and God knows Trestman's going to make him a PPR monster if he can stay on the field, Mm. but it's just so freaking unpredictable. It's so unpredictable. Mm. I mean, I think Forsett went in the fifth in that draft, Mm. you know, and I'm taking Brandon Mm. Marshall and it's like, um, hmm, you know, I'll take the wide receiver one with the shittiest quarterback in the league for three more years, Alex, you know, just, (laughs) I don't Yeah Well and look at the Look at the Look at the Four set situation It's It's him And Steve Smith And then A bunch of rookies Yeah Perryman Max Williams DeAndre Carter It's Darren Waller It's just like He's going to have to be The guy in that offense Especially the running back You know He's got Allen behind him But uh, Yeah Yeah Yeah. And what do you think The defense is Going to be doing They're going to be looking To take that guy out You know I mean, he's a 30-plus-year-old well, running back. and I mentioned it earlier, too, with uh, Scott when we were talking about startups. I, in a startup last year, I, I probably – I don't know if I was the only person to do this. I hope I was But I took Bishop Sankey in the fourth round of a startup last you year. You weren't the only one. and Not by a long and, shot. And, yeah. But same league, I took a guy named Jeremy Hill in the ninth round. I mean, just look what look what a year has done to yeah. that whole situation. I mean, it's 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 pretty insane. Yeah. So, uh okay. Well, you want to you want to stick around, Dan? What are we doing? I'm gonna. I was gonna get a workout in. Okay. Well, did, <laughs> depends on what we're doing. I got a few more minutes, huh? Okay. We could we could go through your bold predictions here. If I if I have any questions, I can certainly throw you them your way them I have them right in front of me, yes. Devontae, too, oh, nice. so I've already got to a couple, couple of these. Devontae Friedman is going to be a more productive fantasy back than Tevin Coleman this year. Um, You know, I may, maybe didn't say it when we were talking about this, but I feel like PPR that's going to be evened out. Yep. I think if there's any weird, weird dinosaurs out there that's still playing a standard league, I think Tevin Coleman is going to be the guy you watch. Any Any, any thoughts or explanation there? Well, I I definitely was going PPR. I don't think any other way, Uh, just for future reference for anybody looking at my stuff or questioning me. I always always go PPR leagues. I don't play in any non-PPR leagues. Not that I have anything necessarily against them. I just prefer the format. Um, So, yeah, I think that's a great equalizer. I think Freeman's going to get the bulk of those. I think he's looking at 50-plus receptions, even on a slow year, uh, which is really going to even out. I also think they're going to like him at the goal line a little more. He can get a lot lower, and he's got a little more straight-ahead power. So unless they have somebody they can bring in besides him to offer him a little more power, I still think he's going to get the bulk of the goal line carries. So, again, big play edge to Coleman, but I think this year I'm still pretty – That's not – I don't know how bold that is, I guess, based on current perception and ADP. That's pretty bold. Um, We'll see. I think Shanahan's going to keep it pretty close no matter what. But, you know, if Coleman transitions quick, boys and girls, we could be looking at a, you know, a Barry Sanders-type explosion, you know, exciting running back down in Atlanta, and Freeman could be forgotten very, very quickly. Um, But, uh, you know, we'll see. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, very very good points there. And I yeah. I think so many people got high on Freeman because Atlanta was just letting all these other running backs go. And uh, like they're obviously they're obviously behind him and then the whole Coleman thing kinda of sent everybody maybe back in the middle there. But uh, uh They've been, been raving about through. Freeman for two years. I mean, even last year on hard knocks, you know, with Atlanta being there. I had Jeff texting me constantly just going, they love this guy. You know, well, now it's got to transition. He's going to have no more excuses. It didn't transition last year, you can point to a number of things. You know, he never got two carries in a row unless they were down by, you know, whatever or up by whatever in the fourth quarter and all they were doing is keying in on him. So you can argue he didn't get a chance to get any chemistry with the line or really get a chance to get his rhythm going a little bit. Uh, you know, or the line just flat out sucked, which I think you can definitely make the case for. Um or you can say that Atlanta was behind a lot. They were a super pass heavy team. Can't argue with that. So you know, there's a lot of reasons you can point to, but the bottom line is is he's got to put up now. Put out now. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think like I said, I think the land's gonna be improved and improved in a lot of areas there. So um yep. Devin bunches proves to be the best value of the entire rookie draft when comparing his ADP versus actual production a little explanation there at all Dan sure sure I mean I kind of look at him very much like Kelvin Benjamin last year I mean Kelvin Benjamin was going about 2-1 I think 2-2 last year in draft Uh, he's the big guy that had question marks about this and this and this and you know, and uh um, you know, and then you look at Kelvin based on where he was taken last year and where he's going now, I mean, maybe Jeremy Hill or whatever, but uh, you know, you could make an argument that he was the best guy uh per value, and now you're looking at Funchus at two five, two six, even uh later in some drafts. I've seen him as late as the late second, and here's a guy who's arguably a better. Version of Devin or of uh, you know of uh, Kelvin Benjamin. Benjamin, um, yeah, I mean he's he's arguably more athletic. He's arguably well, he's not arguably. He's a better pass catcher. That's not saying a whole lot. Uh, Benjamin has some serious catching issues, but Funchess does too. He's by no means some elite pass catcher, but he's extremely you know extremely athletic, versatile. He's going to be at least where Benjamin was going into the offense last year, and I just think ultimately you're looking at two potential 1,000-yard, 70-catch-wide receivers, and I think my tweet after that draft pick was Cam Newton now officially never has to develop as an NFL quarterback. He just doesn't have to. You know, all the guy has to do is run around and find Greg Olson or one of the Twin Towers on the outside. I think I did the write-up on Pontius a few weeks ago. So I just think ultimately through opportunity – and athleticism, you're gonna look at a very similar scenario to that what Kevin Benjamin had last year. And at two five, two six, you're looking at a guy that's gonna jump from the eighth, ninth, tenth round of startups up to the third or fourth. And so based on ADP, that's my prediction, and I think ultimately you'll be uh really, really happy if you can nap that guy uh in your drafts. He should be a target, in my opinion. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about him versus Perryman this year in Baltimore? Uh similar but different. You know, I think uh you have much larger room for air with uh you know, with Funchess because of his size and strength and just physical dominance. There's a touchdown factor there that's gonna get people hyped up the same way Benjamin did that Perriman's going to have a hard time, you know, coming up with. It's very, very feasible to see Devin Funchess with a 2-3 touchdown game this year, no question. And it only takes one of those, just one, for your lead to go nuts, Mm -hmm. especially if it's six, you know, 150 and three and not just three, 58 and three, you know. I mean, Mm -hmm. if he catches some other balls in that game, which is very possible the odds of this guy having a couple multi-touchdown games this year is so good. And you nailed it with Baltimore. People are drooling over this situation and I just don't want anything to do with it. You know, just, mm. I not want nothing to do with it. Uh, other than maybe Javarius Allen and then I'm waiting for a year, you know? So, mm. you know, but, Yeah, I mean, Flacco's got nothing but inexperience around him. I love Max Williams, don't get me wrong. I think his game translates a lot better than most traditional tight ends, and I don't think they're going to ask him to do a whole lot. I think they're going to ask him to go be athletic, and he could potentially turn into a really nice receiving option for them. I mean, he is not a refined tight end by any stretch of the imagination, and they didn't draft him to be one. So, you know, I could see him being a mismatch and arguably one of their best receiving weapons opposite Steve Smith. Um, I love Perriman, don't get me wrong. I love him. He's got that same field awareness, same field speed, same same acceleration that you see with Sammy Watkins, that you see with uh, DeAndre Hopkins, but, but he also has issues with playing too fast, and that's where you see those focus issues and those drops. And, you know, and the comparisons to Torrey Smith are really good. Um, His is going to be far more inconsistent production, far less touchdowns. If you get six out of them this year, it'll be good. I think, you know, I think Funches could have a two-game run of six. You know, I think he has Mm. that serious potential. Um, So, I mean, again, this this is a game about perception. And it really is a stock market game in that, standpoint. If you're taking gambles on these guys, people play this for different reasons or different ways. Some people draft with the intention of holding all the time. This is a guy that's going to sit on my roster for the next 5 years. I believe in him. He's there for good. I just don't subscribe to that theory, you know. I believe in falling and raising values. I believe in predicting trends, getting ahead of them. And, you know, here's a trend where I just see there being a very very minimal risk for a massive spike in Devin Fuentes's value based on his skill set and his ability to get in the red zone. Um and when that spike happened, you're going to have to reassess it and say is this going to be is this going to be Cam Newton's guy? Is this going to be is he going to leapfrog Benjamin? Is this going to become the true number 1 or are we looking at uh, in my opinion, another Kelvin Benjamin who's going to be a little inconsistent, struggle with drops, who's going to struggle with uh, you know truly becoming the go-to guy and in that case, what can I get for him because I might be able to get a guy that I truly believe is going to be that guy plus a piece or something like that and make a move at that point and definitely get more than my 2.5 out of him. So Whereas Brashad Perriman I think he's got a lot more growing to do. I think coaches got their work cut out for him. They're going to have to slow his brain down, and that's going to be hard when you're learning a brand-new offensive playbook and you have all those other things running through your head. Um, I think we see Brashad Perriman struggle early in his career. I think we'll see some big plays out of him because he's so fast. But they're going to be more like the one or two receptions for 70 yards and a touchdown, you know, instead of that really nice consistent uh, eight nine targets a game type situation. So okay. Well, in true Dan fashion, we've been through two of them. Do you want? To, do you want to do some more? Or I can, <laughs> I can do it without you two. We need to get that. Work uh, let's do one more. Let's do one more. Then we going to go what, for a run. Um. All right, I, we're going to skip down to DGB has 12 touchdowns. Come on, bud. What are you, what, what's that? <laughs> That's his low end, dude. That's his low end. Oh. That's his low end. <laughs> you know me. I'm a huge to real Green Beckham fan. In fact, I we're we're going to be doing a series of articles on that mock draft I just told you about. And I fully expect people to hate on my fourth round. Rio green Beckham pick. It was late for us. Um, but uh, I just absolutely love the kid, and I'm sold, and he's my number two wide receiver ahead of Kevin White. He has been since the draft. I love the Tennessee Mariota landing spot. I don't think they have any other choice. I really don't. I view this very much like a Cam Newton, Kelvin Benjamin situation last year. Only Daryl Green-Beckham is a far better wide receiver, even now, than Kelvin Benjamin probably ever will be. His catch radius is off the frickin' charts. His ball skills are second to none. And he just happens to be bigger, faster, and more athletic as well. So if Cam Newton can do it with Kelvin Benjamin, Mariota can do it with Daryl Green-Beckham. And what else are they going to throw to in the red zone? I just don't see it. You know, the 5'11", you know, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe Delaney Delaney Walker here or there, you know? Nah, I'm going to bet on the rookie coming in with the rookie, bunkmates in camp, no doubt, holding each other's hands, you know, promise ringing it up, wearing each other's leather jackets. They're going to be best buds, BFFs, Facebook friends, you name it. It's going to be a pretty thing to watch. as far as As far as uh, two rookies coming in the league together, I think it's about as good as it gets. So, I'm excited about it. I'm taking Dorio Green Beckham anywhere I can.
0: Okay, well, I,
1: I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't dispute that. But let's say, let's say 11 times. Let's just knock it off.
0: <laughs>
1: All right, Dan. Well, thank oh, you very much, and I, I'll talk to you next week, there, sir. Always a pleasure, man. Thanks. All right. Take care. Well, obviously a whole lot of fun there with Mr. Greg himself, um, some more predictions that he had for us, uh, Frank Gore and AJ, or excuse me, Andre Johnson finished top 10 of their respective positions. I don't think that's necessarily a too bold of statement. I, I, I can see that happening. And, uh, uh you know maybe frank more so than andre johnson just because of all the all the uh all the other receiving talent that they have on that squad um you know those tight ends, fleener and allen do so much damage in the red zone uh but uh, i don't i don't i don't think anybody would be surprised if that happened uh they can push this receiving game through aj John, me, andre johnson and have a nice trickle down effect on everybody else everybody Andrew Luck has the skills and and the awareness of to know to know when somebody's open. I know that sounds weird and maybe goes without saying with the quarterbacks, but uh, he has the talent to make a lot of people very fantasy valuable. And uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Frank Gore catches thirty, forty balls in this offense,
0: just because he's
1: you know a North South guy. He he had was once a great receiver out of the backfield too. Because just because San Francisco didn't know how to throw the ball to their running backs doesn't mean that Frank Gore is not going to do that in Minneapolis. Yeah. Um So, yeah, I think, I think both those guys could do, could do some serious damage. Um, one that we didn't get to last week um, that is not one of Dan's. This is from somebody calling themselves Dr. Uh, C.J. Anderson ends up at the top of RB Fantasyland posting 1400 yards, 10 touchdowns, 44 receptions, 450 yards and five receiving touchdowns. Um I that one I'm not so I'm not so sure it can happen. But uh I I think if that I I think in order for that to happen, Manning's going to have to finish strong the rest of the way. Um but, uh, I just don't see how anderson can can keep that up uh, with given how Manning ended the last season. I just don't see that as a possibility um I'm not ruling it out because they could certainly you know run their offense through him, but uh i so that's a, that's a lot to say about that guy, and, and I know NoShawn kind of has the same type of year there. Maybe not that many rushing yards, um, but uh, there's also a nice trio of running backs on that team that could help help this offense. You know, help them keep people off balance. Um, Brandon Marshall put up sol- can put up. This is another one of Dan's. Brandon Marshall will put up solid wide receiver one numbers again. While improving Decker's numbers as well, Eric Decker's numbers as well. Uh, that's a pretty, pretty easy statement. Obviously, there's some situations there, the situation there with the quarterbacks in in uh, New York. But I, Brandon Marshall has a couple good seasons left in him, and I and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Eric Decker, Eric Decker is the winner of Marshall coming to New York. I think. He, I think he will have nice numbers, and I think it's going to open some more things up for Jason Morrow as well. Um, It's hard not to be excited about that Jets team. I know the defense is a little more exciting at this point, but it's hard not to be excited about that Jets team. Um, As far as Brandon Marshall putting up legit, solid wide receiver one numbers, I don't know about that. I don't know if he's going to finish in the top 10, top 15, top 20 maybe. Uh, Josh Huff outproduces Nelson Aguilar. Um, I think a lot of people. I would definitely say no to that. But uh, we talked about that system and where where he's at. So I think uh, I think it could definitely be a, a nice marriage for him. More being more involved in that offense last year. He's got the versatility and the agility like he showed on the return game last year. Um, so I, I also think you know I talked about Aguilar possibly get lined up in the backfield on third and long situations. Hoff uh, could also do that, and he has the the thick chest and uh, and the ability to maybe break a tackle or make a, a a will linebacker look look pathetic as he as he's forced to cover him on a flare. Uh, Marquise Lee will be labeled as a, a bust at the end of the season. Dan really hates USC receivers. Um, I, unfortunately, am invested in Marquise Lee only really in one league. So I, I want to believe in him, but there's already rules. Or there's already reports about him being behind Alan Hermit in camp. So uh, I don't think that's too far-fetched of a statement. Uh, Lee certainly has issues staying healthy, too. That's not going to help his cause by any means. Uh, but uh, and there's a lot of receivers. i tried to surround Mr. Bortles with a lot of talent there, so we'll see what happens. I know Rashard Green has been doing some nice damage in the slot there, I think, so far in OTA. So. Uh, Marquise Lee could potentially be the forgotten man. I'm still not sold on Alan Robinson. I think he's going way too high. I think he's another guy that's going to be subject to injury because he is how he is tall, he is also very thin, and I think he's not going to be a solid guy that's gonna, he's going he's gonna to be one of those guys that's going to miss two or three games every year I, just, I see that happening with him, I don't think he's Darren McFadden bad but I just think he's going to have to do a lot to strengthen his body in order to be a, a, an actual wide receiver one in terms of maybe finishing the top 25 uh, Teddy Bridgewater is a top 8 quarterback that statement obviously is not so bold with Adrian Peterson back. You know, however you feel about what Adrian can do this year, or you think he's going to be going to have some rest or whatnot. Even if this guy has six, seven hundred yards, just the fact that he is in the backfield is going to open so much of this offense up. You know, that got. They got a burner in Wallace, who can you know. However you feel about him, he's going to help this offense. Even if he doesn't produce great fantasy numbers, he's going to help this offense by stretching the defense. Uh, Charles Johnson, I think, is going to be a great PPR receiver. Um, I got some great talent at the tight end with Rudolph, if he can stay healthy, and of course my guy Michael Pruitt as well. Be a nice H back, fullback, you know, off off line tight end. They just have a lot of great moving parts. Jarius Wright is still there. Cordell Patterson could actually take a step forward this year. Teddy is in a very good situation. Look what he did last year without Adrian Peterson. Uh, You know, Jarek McKinnon certainly can help. You know, third and long situations. He could be a nice, nice third down back. Asiata can be the guy getting crunching up the middle if, if. Peterson is a little bit banged up so they they have talent you know whether no matter how you feel about those guys obviously at and uh, Mc, uh Wright are definitely on the lower spectrum probably not a, a whole lot of i going to be a whole lot of people fantasy teams I just I really like what they've done with Bridgewater and I you know he's going that realm you know he's going he's going as a seventh to tenth quarterback off the board right now on a lot of mocks or a lot of startups so I don't see any any situation where he doesn't finish inside the top 10, top 8, sure. Why not? Oh, Dan loves himself some Doug Martin. He returns to form and pushes for top 10 numbers looking far superior than Charles Sims. Obviously, this is a perception thing because when Charles Sims was coming out of college, uh he was one of my favorite backs, not and not a great running back class, obviously Sankey was the first guy. I don't know why I keep coming back to Big Sankey. But he was the first guy off the board in a lot of of mocks and startups, rookie drafts last year. Jeremy Hill certainly outproduced more than a lot of people thought. Um, But I love Sims. An ankle injury cost him much of the season last year. Fall off season – you know, an an experience gained last year that I like to say he's got enough experience to make him dangerous. I kind of feel that same way about Devontae Freeman. That's why I have no problem drafting him as well. But uh, I I just like Sims way too much to believe in that statement. And like I said earlier with Doug Martin, when you, when you have a major injury like he had, I think it was the hip, it's just so hard to come back to 100%. And when you get hurt, somewhere like that, lower body, you are damaged goods. You are never going to be the same. You're not I mean, you might feel okay, you know, walking around and running, but when you step back onto the NFL field and get hit by NFL players, it's just, just opens you up to so many more injuries. So those were Dan's old predictions. I have some of my own coming up coming up here shortly. But first we're gonna grade um, Nick's 16 team. We and Nick started uh, along with Bruce and uh, from DFW and Gary Bidette, the the winner of DFW 36 last year. We started this uh, 16 team league. It's called DFW 16. Uh, 40 man rosters, IDP, same settings as uh, excuse me DFW 36. Uh, five less roster spots. It is the best ball league, so remember that as we kind of break down uh, Nick team but uh we're just going to talk a little bit about his draft um looking at his team his quarterbacks are Bortles and Roethlisberger uh Bortles was kind of a later round pick Roethlisberger was I think a fifth rounder now this is a 16 team league so there was some weird little runs during the draft where I want to say between rounds like three and eight almost every quarterback who was going to do anything this year came off the board I mean McCown and Daniel and Manziel went a little bit later Um, but, uh, it, there, there was these weird little runs on positions and we'll talk a little bit more after this, some kickers, I don't know why I have to talk about kickers, but, uh, we do. And, uh, but there was a little bit of weird runs. I, I stuck to my guns and took quarterbacks inside the top four. I got Matt Ryan in the fourth, um, Roethlisberger went around later. I think those guys are pretty similar. Uh, Roethlisberger outproduced him by 20 points last year. So those those guys are pretty similar. But I like Matt Ryan a little bit more. But uh, Nick went with Roethlisberger and Bortles. His running backs um, were, I like the future. Nick understands how to build the dynasty team. I'm not so crazy about this year. He's got Cameron Artis-Payne, Niall Davis, uh, David Johnson, Matt Jones, Alfred Morris, Darren Sproles and Carlos Williams, so he's got some nice future pieces there and four rookies. Um, just don't know what Sproles is going to produce. Obviously, the Chip Kelly offense can uh, can use him, but I, I don't. I just don't see what his role is going to be. I know he will be used, but I just don't know how often. Obviously, if Ryan Matthews or Demarco gets hurt, he's going to certainly be a, a trending waiver grab. But I'm just not crazy about Sproles this year. Camera artist Payne, obviously, he's got a, a very clear path because we all know Stewie's going to get hurt. Uh, Niall Nile Davis is a nice piece because Jamal Charles is, you know, he's great, but he's 28, and uh, we'll see how that works out. He's got Alfred Morris and his backup, Matt Jones. So I think that's a pretty good, solid situation there. He's got David Johnson, you know, another guy that people have a lot of opinions about, but I, I think he'll be a nice, producer in this PPR format. Carlos Williams, a nice future piece. Obviously, he's the future there. McCoy is, you know, 26, 27. Fred Jackson is 55. Uh, Anthony Dixon and Bryce Brown just basically don't matter at this point. Um, Carlos Williams, I can certainly see getting some goal line action this year. So, best ball format, not a bad grab there. Uh, Wide receivers. Now, Nick ranted a few weeks ago about stocking your stocking your team and startups with maybe some higher-end players and waiting on some wide receivers that he likes to have uh, better value. So he went on Tony Brown with his first-round pick in this 16-team, uh, 40-rounder. Uh, but then he waited a while. So the rest of his wide receivers are Doug Baldwin, Kenny Brits, Riley Cooper, Marquise Lee, Vince Maley, Nick Toon, and... Kendrew, excuse me, Kendall Wright. So, uh, not a lot of like wow factor there besides Antonio Brown. But I think you know we'll see what Lee does and May Lee does. But I think he's going to have some good production out of Kenny Britt and uh, Kendall Wright this year. Britt's a guy that you can get super super late in drafts, and, and and I I like the fact that you can grab a guy like that. He's big. He's got experience. Um, I think. Foles being there, if he can stay healthy, it's going to be a, a nice jolt to this offense, and obviously Gurley as well. So uh, not not a lot to be excited about there, receiver wise. But I think he, you know, he's opened himself up to taking a receiver in maybe the first round next year too, and and some decent. Like I said, it is best ball, it is PPR, so not great, but I don't hate uh, tight ends. He's pretty solid there with Jimmy Graham and Colby Fleener at the top. Took Tyler Croft, a guy that I just can't get behind, but that's what he went with. Um, now he has two kickers. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later. Obviously, with a 16-team format, um, I guess you can hold two kickers if you want, but I, I, I'm just not crazy about that. Um, so he's got Dan Carpenter. Ryan, suck up. Uh, again, not wild, wild about kickers, but we'll get to more of that in a second. Uh, defensive tackle, he's got Aaron Donald, who he took pretty high, and he also has Terrence Knighton. I, I like that situation there. Uh, Donald actually, you know, performed very well as a rookie, and I think there's no reason not to think he won't do that next this year as well. Uh, defensive end, he's pretty solid. Michael Bennett, Jason Pierre-Paul, and uh, Eric Ar- Armstead there for a nice future piece. I'm kind of slowly coming off the Armstead train. Um But if you're in DFW 36, yes, I'll take some nice picks for him. Um, Linebackers, obviously he's got a couple guys at the top. One major piece in Luke Kegley. You know, you can't dispute him there. But the rest of his guys I'm not crazy about. Michael Wilhite I don't necessarily hate down there in San Francisco. Craig Robinson is going to certainly see a timeshare there with Chris Kirksey, who I have. Uh Vincent Ray, you got pretty late some good value. Danny is obviously another another nice piece and then Jarrell Freeman, I, I, I think he's gonna lose some playing time this year. So uh again great with guys Keegley at the top but not uh, not crazy about the rest of the
0: the rest of the staff there. So
1: um cornerbacks he's got Rashard Breeland, Breland, another Washington Redskins homework pick there. He performed very well last year, and I think he can have some nice numbers this year. I don't think anybody's going to be afraid to challenge him this year. Also added Brandon Flowers pretty late, so a nice backup plan there. Uh, Antoine Bethea, he's got uh, down there in San Francisco safety. Devin McCourty as well, and also Reggie Nelson. So he's got a couple 200-point safeties there, and McCourty is certainly no slot. So I I don't love his team, but I I think – I know, you know, moving forward that he's gonna he's gonna do do some nice things in rookie drafts. So, I, as as for now, I'm gonna give this team a B minus grade, and I'm sure he can come back next week when we are, excuse me, July 15th, and return and grade my team. Uh, but uh, I'm gonna give a B minus. Like I said, I think he's got some some issues there with wide receiver, running back, but uh, this being a best ball, I think it's gonna probably work out better than I I think it will. So that, that that's next team. Uh, like I said, not crazy about it. Going to give him B minus. Now, hoarding kickers in a league like this is something that I never thought would happen. But we, this league, we have some people that are holding two and three kickers. Now, they some I think a kicker went off the round, went off the board in the 20th round, which surprised me. Uh, but then some people took some other guys here and there, and I didn't take a kicker to the last round. I said last week that I didn't want to take a kicker. Figured I could just pick one up, you know, off of waivers after some position battles I figured out with some of my linebackers. But uh, I had to take one, took, took them in the seventh, and I, and I got no problem not picking up a kicker during my kickers bye week. So, But I, some guys, like I said, two and three kickers. Uh, you know, and maybe, maybe they feel like they're going to corner the market and people are going to want to trade for their kickers. Uh, I don't know. I just don't. I don't get that strategy. I, I know it makes sense in some respects, but I just don't get it. Um, and I also think uh, the two-point, uh, more two-point conversion attempts
0: to maybe level
1: off the kick, the kicker field here, you know, you like those guys that are on really good teams that are going to get field goals, but they're also going to get, you know, three to four extra points per game. You know, it's Gaskowski, Adam Van Mason Crosby, those types of players. Um But, you know, if there's more two-point conversions attempts this year with the new rules and, like, everybody thinks it's going to happen, you know, if they're not getting those extra, you know, three to four points per game and and maybe just be counting on for field goals, I think that maybe levels all the kickers kind of, you know, it's going to bring those guys on mediocre teams up a little bit. And I think even those guys on some bad teams up a little bit. So I I think the kicker field is – the the whole pool of kickers is a little – A little murky, uh, and uh, that's all I'm going to say about kickers, because I just get bored out of my mind talking about kickers. So let's get to my bold predictions here. Um, These are not from the forum, even though I labeled it that. Um, But uh, my bold predictions are Latavius Murray will outrun, excuse me, outrush Melvin Gordon. I think Latavius Murray will have, more rushing yards than Melvin Gordon this year. Um, if you de- disagree with that statement, I, I don't think that's going uh, – you know, I don't think too many people uh, would be surprised. But I, I, I feel like Mark Gordon's in a great situation. I think Latavius Murray, can he stay healthy, could actually have a better year this year. Just enough experience to stay dangerous. Uh, I need to get that a little bit so I don't have to say it um, Sticking with the Raiders' Severance, this San Diego head-to-head. I think Roy Hallou has more
0: receptions
1: than Danny Woodhead. That might not be too bold. We don't know how Woodhead's going to come back from breaking his ankle. Uh, but with Hallou, you know, and especially with Hallou in a new system, we aren't sure how it's going to work, but I think he's going to be a very, very productive third down back in the Oakland offense. And, you know, we know Carr can dump it off. Carr can't throw the ball down field is what everybody says. So I think Carr will be able to help help lose stay as a, a nice ppr option john brown will lead arizona in receptions um you know mr fitzgerald is getting up there michael floyd is inconsistent um john brown is going to be a topic in their uh question and answer this saturday so make sure you check that out it might not come out saturday it might come out sunday because of the holiday of course um but uh, certainly stay tuned for that. There's going to be some great opinions on that. I I, I have only read mine, so uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. But uh, I think John Brown could lead Arizona in receptions this year. And I'm not I'm not going to back off that. This guy is dynamic. He uh, has the ability and the speed to create mismatches. I mean, the only thing he's got going against him, like, I'll, like you'll read my question and answer, is his size. I think he will be a very, very solid player for years to come. Uh, moving to Tennessee, uh, Zach Brown, who basically played three plays last year and then tore a pectoral muscle, is back. Can he lead the Tennessee Titans in tackles? They had some nice performances from from Avery Williams last year, uh, but uh, uh, but I think uh, I think he does have the potential as kind of an underrated guy to lead this team in tackles. Um, here's an interesting. Jadavian Clowney will have more sacks than games played. Now, obviously, Clowney can have can play in one game and have two sacks. But I think a lot of people when they first hear this would think that uh, Clowney could have could have seventeen sacks in sixteen games. This was what you would want to think before you make a judgment on this call. But uh, I I think he could potentially do that if he is the dynamic player and there's some great great other pieces on this defense. I think Clowney can certainly certainly do that. You know, maybe he plays in eight games and has ten sacks. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody's gonna be surprised if he misses a couple of games this year either. Uh but I think he certainly has potential to be a very, very solid player. Um uh moving to Arizona. Marcus Golden will have more sacks than games played this year. Uh, no, excuse me. That was that was clowning. Marcus Golden will arise as a force for Arizona. Just as a rookie will arise as a force for Arizona. Now I look at this and see, and I see that. Um, uh, excuse me. See that uh, the only person in front of him is uh, Mr. You who know, who does not thrill me by any means uh, whatsoever. So I'm going to, I'm going to stick to this. Golden is not a guy that I've drafted in any leagues, but I feel like he could certainly have, have some great, some great moments there this season in, uh, in Arizona. He doesn't have a whole lot in front of him. And I don't think, uh, I don't think, uh, we, I don't think I would be surprised if he, if he has some, some nice there at weak side linebacker by any means. Um, Moving forward, uh, IDP positional value charts. Obviously, uh, some defenses are switching to 3 4, and that's going to make some defensive ends lose some some value this year. Um, so, uh, that being said, I, 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 I enlisted Mr. Sean Curry to, uh, um, To help us out on this matter, um, and he, he gave it, he gave me some quotes here. Uh, Decrease in value. 2014 edge rushes. Will that be impacted in a bad way? Jared Allen, Lamar Houston, Jerry Hughes, Mario Williams, Willie Young, and Demarcus Ware. Chicago, Buffalo, and Denver are moving to the three-four. All these linebackers, all these guys are likely to be linebackers next year. They will struggle to have IDP impact as opposed to being defensive ends. Uh Vaughn Miller should be unaffected. As he uh, as he it was a linebacker in previous formats. Uh Marcel Darius also loses some value by switching to a f four three switching from a four three defensive tackle to a nose tackle. Uh increased value New 3-4 defensive ends on those teams will increase their IDP value, namely Malik, Jackson in Denver, and Kyle Williams. Buffalo likely posting better stats than they will in 2015. Kyle Williams, however, lost his DT designation and became a defensive end, hurting his value in leagues that require the defensive tackles. Uh, Chicago, a bit of a mess, that being said. yeah, Jared Allen, certainly not a linebacker there. Uh, but maybe Eagle Ferguson or Jay Ratliff uh, make some waves, but it's hard to say. Was of course from Sean. I think Terry Williams could actually do something there. Undrafted rookie out of East Carolina, go Pirates. I think he could potentially do something there. Uh, moving forward here, some switching, uh, some guys that are switching to the four-three Atlanta uh, decreased value in three-four system. 2014 wasn't producing a lot of IDP players of interests that lost value that's uh good increase the value vic beasley croy bierman adrian claiborne are now likely defensive ends in the system and see a modest increase in value i would take them in that order so again that order this is from sean beasley bierman and adrian claiborne so um, i also want to a couple fringe guys that, I, and this is, has nothing to do with uh, the positional switch or whatnot, but some fringe guys that I'm, I'm concerned with, and we'll get to more of this in in, uh, in our July 15 podcast. Mason Foster, Tahir Whitehead, Derek Morgan, Brian Cushing, Sam Barrington, Kevin Mitchell, Chad Greenway, and Kyle Vanoy. Those are some guys I want you to maybe do a little homework on. And uh, I'm going to do the same thing, and we'll talk about those guys coming up on July 15th. But I kind of of those fringe linebackers in IDP formats. Those are a lot of guys that I saw go undrafted, even in like a 40-round, 16-teamer. Um, so just just think about those guys as we look at that. Um, some dynasty trade analysis here. I want to uh, get to some things from DFW 36, the IDP 36 uh Somebody gave up Keenan Allen and got Tory Smith, 2016 second-round pick, and 2016 third-round pick for Keenan Allen. Tory Smith, a second and a third for Keenan Allen. Big perception here, but uh, obviously the guy that's getting Allen is getting a younger player. Um,
0: uh, he's
1: given up a lot to get him, but I, I don't necessarily dispute that. If you think you're in win-now mode, I think Keenan Allen is a great player to roster. You're getting off this Tory Smith train, and who knows what kind of receiver you're going to get with a second and third-round
0: pick next year.
1: Uh, Mr. Burgundy gave up Michael Floyd, Josh Hill, and a 2016 third-round pick for J.H.I., John Brown, and
0: Vic Beasley. I love
1: this trade. And of course, Burgundy ends up on the winning side again. I don't know what people's deal is with Josh Hill. I, I really haven't researched him, but obviously he's not going to be Jimmy Graham at the height of Jimmy Graham. Um, Floyd, terribly inconsistent, and he just gave up a third-round pick, got Jay Ajayi, John Brown, and Vickie That That's a nice haul, for just giving up that. Um, so I'm certainly taking Burgundy's side on that one and taking the Keenan Allen side on the other one, even though he gave up a lot to get up. Uh, Allen Satterley's speed bump poll is going to be starting next week. I believe it's July 6th. Uh, the, the The first one... You can only choose one of these running backs to have a better year next year. They are Frank Gore, Amir Abdullah, Tevin Coleman, who we've talked a whole lot about today, and Latavius Murray, who we've touched on a little bit. Um, you know, Gore is the veteran. People are gonna be worried about his age and think he's gonna see a, a bulk of a bulk of touches there this year. But I, I feel like uh, Gore is going to uh, probably have a better year there. I think just that situ, offensive situation there has just opened, going to hold, hold more things up. We're looking at two other rookies. Abdullah, I like him. I like his upside. I just don't think you're going to see a, a whole hell of a lot from him this year. Coleman could be a very di- dynamic player, but he's also going to have his inconsistencies. As Ricky rolls, like I talked about earlier, Murray is another guy that I love. I'm trying not to let my Raider fandom interfere with that, but I feel like he could certainly help help this offense. And if he stays healthy, he could be a very, very major player for this team. So um, that's all we have for you today. Um, I want to, I want to thank you for joining us. I want to thank Scott Atkins for joining us and make sure you go to scout fantasy and check that out. Um, I also want to thank Mr. Burgundy for stopping by and debating with us. Um, I did, uh, I did lose my timer here. So uh, in case I am, I guess you're not going to hear this. I hope this is still recording, but I, 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 potentially did not hear that. So I don't know why I'm saying that, because if you're not hearing me, you're not hearing me. So uh, thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you have a good week, or two weeks, I should say. We will see you back on uh, July 15 with author Alex Kirby and Nick making his triumphant return. Thank you very much. This has been the Dynasty Pulse podcast. I am Joshua Johnson. Again, big thanks to Burgundy for helping us out. And of course, Scott Atkins, make sure you go to Scout Fantasy and check that out. Thank you and have a great day. I say gentlemen ladies, of control baby.
0: 69. Offense is giving them the business. Uh-huh.